Good morning, church. Uh, it's great to be here, Joan, and I've been really looking forward to our time with you since uh, we were invited uh, very graciously by Edgar and Dawn last month, and uh, it's great for us to be here. Thank you for the uh, privilege uh, of being able to address you on this Black History Month service. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to have my better half come and speak first, uh, and she has a very special presentation, which I believe uh, you'll really enjoy, and then I'll speak afterwards. Good morning. Black History Month. One of the things that we celebrate in February in our nation, uh, I realize it's along with things like Groundhog Day and Valentine's Day and President's Day, but today we're celebrating Black History Month here. Amen? And it's a time when we celebrate the struggles and the accomplishments of African Americans. A time to reflect on where we have been and where we are going. Every time I stop and think about it, my heart skips a beat. Having seen the movies or seen it on TV or read about it or heard about the struggles or seen or experienced the racism or heard the stories about the courage of so many who have created a path so that we can now walk, makes me deeply reflect. It has been said that freedom is never given, it is won. I can think of so many times when someone else had to win in order for me to be free. Even though I was a young child during the civil rights movement in our nation, I did not experience it personally. I was not born into slavery, although my great-grandmother was. I never had to work as a servant for any family, although my grandmother did. I never had to drink from a colored water fountain, although my godmother did. I never had to go to the Negro school, although my grandfather did. I never had to sit in the back of a bus, although my fair-skinned mother did. Because although she was really light, she was still too black. You see, my life was really so far removed from the lives of my Southern ancestors that I'm amazed we're even in the same family. Yes, I am African-American, but I was born in the North. But what helped to bridge that divide was that they told me over and over again about their deprivations. Not so that I would ever have an ounce of hatred toward anyone, but so that I would learn and understand and figure out how to prevail. Even though my experiences were so different, I can feel some of their pain as though it was mine. A thread of spirituality runs through us so that I can imagine the hardships and the many injustices that they had endured. And I try to feel this so deeply. This spirituality has tied together African-Americans. You see, as the Morrises shared, during slavery times, blacks would meet together in their little churches. 
where they could talk about their struggles and express their emotions. They would lift every voice and sing their spirituals together because they just knew that God would pull them through. Somehow during that time, even though they were enslaved, they felt a freedom. Even though they were disturbed, they felt a comfort. Even though they had no support, they felt a support from a God and a Jesus in whom they so deeply loved and in whom they so deeply believed. Many of them knew, felt, and believed in a God who had not and would never abandon them. Many believed in a God who was there, especially during their times of trouble, which they seem to have every day. That's what gave them the faith to prevail against all odds and the hope that kept them going. Their faith is what held them together so strongly. And that was really all they had. Although we might look back and think they were nowhere, they, they used to think they had come so far by faith. Black Americans had a deep religious conviction that empowered a people viewed as powerless to blaze a path to freedom and deliverance. This deep religious conviction raised them to stand and be counted, although they weren't even literally counted in our nation, but it raised them to stand and be counted in this one nation of under God. We can now tell the stories of their old tent revivals and the importance that the black churches served as touchstones. It was this faith journey that was the cornerstone of the civil rights movement that you and I are so proud of today. This faith journey that they walked was instilled in them and enables us to hold our heads high today. That faith movement that God allowed and designed has enabled me to go to college and to graduate school and to law school and beyond. That same movement that started in Alabama when my mother was always moved to the back of the bus because that was their law, that was the same movement that resulted in her granddaughter, my daughter, receiving a fellowship to study for free at the University of Alabama, and where her granddaughter first became a lawyer. That faith movement has given my children, and now their children, both the civil and religious freedoms that they now have today, and have extended far beyond any man-made borders. Yes, they endured, and they persevered. And they did sit-ins and marches, and they walked. Well, they walked so I could run. And we ran so now you can fly. And what they did resonates throughout all times of not just African-American history, but all history. And for all times, not just in February. But today, in February, we, at the very least, should reflect and become filled with a deep gratitude for what their legacy has wrought. So, thank you, Rosa, for sitting where you wanted on that bus. Thank you, Medgar, for leading the NAACP in Mississippi. Thank you, Harriet, for driving a railroad 
that was bound for freedom. Thank you, Thurgood, for changing the segregation laws in our nation. Thank you, Freedom Riders, for paving the way on those buses in Alabama. Thank you, Little Rock Nine, for courageously integrating a high school in Arkansas. Thank you, Martin, for the dream that you gave us all. And thank you, Jesus, for instilling that spirit in them that has been able to reach me. Let's all pray together. Lord, we're so grateful uh, for how you used, have used imperfect people, but amazing Americans to blaze a path of freedom for all here in this country. But the fact that it was rooted in your word, rooted in your scriptures, rooted in the example of your son, we stand here, we sit here today inspired and encouraged. And we're grateful for all the progress that has been made to this point. We look forward to even greater progress as we move forward. But we're grateful for the fact that we can be in this country, in this great country of America. God, we thank you for this time that we can worship you in spirit and in truth as we lift up the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're grateful to be here and to be able to celebrate with you. And the title of my few minutes of, of, of message this morning is A Cause Greater Than Yourself. And as we think about the civil rights movement and all that has been accomplished, we think about a cause greater than ourselves. Many, there are many, there have been many great accomplishments of African Americans in this country over the course of our history. And arguably, our greatest contribution <clears throat> has been a movement that thousands, literally thousands upon thousands of men and women who are African Americans participated in and spearheaded, that started really back in the 1800s, but really crescendoed and ramped up in the 1950s, as was mentioned earlier, and continues today in many respects as God used and has used these imperfect people to not only bridge the gap of civil rights, but really human rights. But the root of this was really in the church and even a much greater example as we consider the bedrock of that protest, which was nonviolent demonstration. And so as we start today, I just really wanted to keep our eyes on the prize which is what I believe God wants us to do. And, and my second point today would be really to ask for you personally, what kind of extremist will you be? You know, back in the 1980s, there was a documentary, there's 14 parts uh, series uh, that, ended, that ended in the 1990s, and it was entitled Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. And it really documented the, the civil rights movement uh, through the 1950s, really up until the mid-1980s. And the thing that we really see over and over again that has been mentioned even so far this morning is that the roots of that movement were in the church. It was really a faith-based movement that really <clears throat> epitomized sacrifice on the part of individuals that were uh, committed to nonviolent uh, direct action. 
And it was cornerstone in a belief in America and its, and its promises for a better future, for equal rights, based on our forefathers' promises. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'd like to direct your thoughts there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7, because the scriptures really <clears throat> help us to understand and see in a greater way uh, the prize that we need to keep our eyes on. Amen? So in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible reads, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we, are, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Amen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, Paul here helps us to try to get some perspective on his ministry, on his life. And he gives us some perspective because he helps us to understand that what he is realizing as he, as he follows this course of being a disciple and an apostle of Jesus Christ is he understands the personal transformation that he was called to. He understands that what he had to endure was for something far greater than himself. You know, a lot of times it's our, our biggest obstacle is who? Ourselves. It's not other people. <laughs> it's ourselves. And it's what we have to deny ourselves of or what we have to give up or what we feel we have to sacrifice or what we have to put aside for a greater good, for a greater cause. And we're reminded of that in the civil rights movement as we see the newsreels and we see the individuals who had the water hoses uh, uh, shown on them and, and had the dogs that were, were going after them uh, by, by the police in Alabama. And we see the personal sacrifice. But, you know, beyond that, for, for Jesus Christ, on a day-by-day -day basis, we are called to do what? Deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily. And follow Jesus. And the amazing thing about this passage is that Paul 
in helping us to get perspective on our own lives does what? He refers to our troubles as what? Light and momentary. Now, wait a second, Paul. Who are you? Who in the world are you to tell me that my troubles are light and momentary? Why don't you speak for yourself? Well, I'll tell you what, I think he has every right to. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And this is the same man, Paul, who just referred to our troubles as light and momentary, describing the troubles that he had while he followed Jesus. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. You see, Paul could relate. He could relate to trouble because he had had plenty of it because of the fact that he followed Jesus. But he understood that the trouble that he was enduring was for something far greater than anything he was enduring. Because he went on to say that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I don't know about you, but I know over the last couple of years, it's been challenging. For myself. And, you know, even to sometimes say, well, why in the world do I need to go through all of this? And some, I, I look at Edgar back there. <laughs> He's got a smile. We can relate, brother. And, and we understand that. And sometimes having to put ourselves aside. And, and yeah, I have had a lot of sleepless nights over the last several years. But you know what? Probably not close to the number that Paul had had. And definitely not the Jesus had had. And so I, I, I can feel like I need to lick my wounds. But, you know, it, it, yeah, it's not, it's not pleasant to be falsely accused. Yes, it's not pleasant to be slandered. Yes, it's not, it's not pleasant to go under all of those types of things. I have to spend hour upon hour and, and meeting upon meeting to talk through all types of issues. But why do we do it? Because we understand it's part of our personal transformation. And it's for an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So in order to keep our eyes on the prize, we've got to look through a spiritual lens, brothers and sisters, that can help us see clearly and see beyond ourselves, see beyond our inconveniences, see beyond our confusions, see beyond our personal affronts, and just see Jesus and see the one who really went before us. 
You know, our personal hardship, our troubles are for Jesus, but it's a part of that transformation. The exciting thing about it is it helps us to present Jesus to this world. Amen. And so it says that we keep we need to keep our eyes on the prize on what the things that are eternal and not temporal, the things that are unseen and not necessarily that are seen. And so what are we talking about? Well, what is eternal? Well, the things that are unseen are what? The salvation of souls, 1 Peter 1.9. The word of God. You know, it's amazing to think that in our phones and on our laps is the word of God, and that is eternal? You know, we're, we're about to, you know, after 23 years, we're going to redo our kitchen at our home. And, you know, we're excited about it. I, I, you know, it's temporal. I wish the money I have to spend wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be temporal. But, you know, the bottom line is at the end of the day, it's not going to be here forever. Oh, gosh. All right. But you know what? The word of God will be. And it will judge me, according to John chapter 12, verse 48 and 49. But the salvation of souls, when I pour myself out for the salvation of souls of others, for my brothers and sisters, for those who are lost, I know that will last in eternity. That's a tremendous investment. Amen. But what is temporal? There are things in this world that will not go into eternity, but that God does say, hey, you need to invest in as well. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, a godly character is something that is not necessarily eternal, though it does have eternal consequences, but it's something we need to work on in this life. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and the goodness knowledge. The knowledge self-control, the self-control perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, and the godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in what? Increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What else do we need to busy ourselves with? Fellowship with one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Also, doing good and finding satisfaction in our work and living at peace with others. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 to, 20, 20, 24 to 25, and chapter 3, 12 to 13. He also wants us to busy ourselves with what? A godly marriage and family. Malachi chapter 2, verse number 16. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. What does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. And do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord. The God of Israel does violence to the one we should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. A godly marriage and family. Also to provide for oneself and family. 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So these are some of the things that are temporal, but that God says are of value and worth and that things that we need to invest in and busy ourselves with uh, in this life. You know, the, the amazing thing about the civil rights movement had tremendous characters. And, and you can't talk about the civil rights movement without mentioning Dr. Martin Luther King. In 1963, he wrote a letter from a Birmingham jail, and that was a result of uh, an imprisonment that he had as a result of his nonviolent protest of desegregation efforts uh, in the city of Birmingham. 
And the amazing thing about that letter is that he was actually writing to the church. He was writing to religious individuals who had differences with him over his efforts and the tactics of the civil rights movement. These were men of the cloth, men of God. And one of the things that they really felt very strongly about that they challenged the civil rights movement on was just how extreme, quote unquote, it was. And the fact that they felt like maybe you should just wait for time to carry on and for change to happen naturally over time. But they felt that in many respects, protests were just too extreme. And Dr. King had a few things to say to address that. And he addressed the discontent of many Negroes and African Americans at that time. And he addressed the fact that he felt that the nonviolent protest demonstrations were a healthy way for them to, to channel so much of the discontent that they felt and experienced for so many years, hundreds of years, of unjust treatment and oppression, and contrasted that with the blood that would be shed in the streets if there was not a nonviolent channel to go through. But he said, but I have tried to say that this normal and healthy discontent can be channeled through the creative outlet of nonviolent direct action. Now, this approach is being dismissed as extremist. I must admit that I was initially disappointed in being so categorized, Dr. King said. But as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Was not Jesus? an extremist in love, quote, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you, unquote. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll, quote, down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Was not Thomas Jefferson an extremist? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Was not Abraham Lincoln an extremist? This nation cannot survive half slave and half free. So the question, Dr. King went on, is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? And that's the question of the hour today. What kind of extremists will each of us be? See, we have a choice. In Matthew chapter 12 in the Bible, Jesus says, he knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus says, whoever is not with me, 100%, sold out, all in, go by my word, you're against me. That's extreme. That's extreme. He says, whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, it can't be just some Jesus, some word, some Bible, with a little bit of this or that philosophy sprinkled in. A little bit of mama's wisdom, a grandmama's wisdom sprinkled in. Now, some of that may be really great if it lines up with the word of God. Amen. <laughs> but the bottom line is 
he says, listen, you're either all in or you're not with me at all. We live in a very biblically illiterate society that's becoming more and more biblically illiterate. There are a lot of great ideas. And sometimes I'm tempted in myself to really value my own wisdom. But the bottom line is my wisdom doesn't line up with the word of God. I got some trouble because my wisdom is not going to judge me on the day of judgment. It's going to be God's word, John 12, 48 and 49. And so we have a question to ask ourselves. Are our convictions lined up with the word of God? You say, well, what are we talking about? Scripture we know very well. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's the take home message? The word of God is to be applied to our lives, to our thoughts, to our ideas, to our philosophies, to our values, to our marriages, to our families, to everything we do. That is our conviction in the church of Christ. Amen. And, and so what are we talking about? Where the Bible speaks clearly, we are silent. Okay, it, what do I mean by that? If the Bible speaks clearly to something, there is no argument. There is no discussion. Okay, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter what I think about it. Where the Bible clearly speaks, we are silent. And where the Bible is clearly silent, we speak. So if the Bible doesn't speak on something, then it gives us some license to then explore other ideas. But if the Bible clearly says something, that's it. That settles it. It's all. Let's just take it home. There you go, Derek, right? Amen. So if not, we're willing to redirect our course and strive to seek for what it means, whatever the cost is, because we've got to be all in with Jesus. We've got to be that kind of extremist. Amen? Secondly, what kind of extremist will you be? I believe we've got to be a now is the time kind of extremist. You know, in the letter from the Birmingham jail, again, one of the areas where he was being challenged by the religious hierarchy was they were saying, well, again, Dr. King, your people, it's too extreme. You should wait for things to happen. He went on to say, Dr. King, the wait has always meant never. <laughs> and he said, justice too long delayed is justice denied. He was a now is the time kind of extremist. He was like, listen, we've already waited 340 years. Now is the time. And that's what the word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you to receive God's grace, not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now, now is the day of salvation. You see, now is the time. See, God is an extremist in the sense of time. Procrastination is the assassination of motivation. I'll say it again. Procrastination is the assassination of motivation. 
and we lose our motivation for what is right when we keep procrastinating. And God says, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. It's today that we need to open our mouths with the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because people are hurting. Marriages are crumbling and failing. Families, children are failing because of lack of the word of God and Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. People in our neighborhoods are hurting. People at our jobs are hurting and they need Jesus. Now is the time for us to attempt to build bridges with those who have differences with you or, or who you may be estranged from. Again, procrastination is the assassination of motivation. Today is the day to pick up the phone. Today is the day to write a letter. Today is the day to send an email and say, let's talk. We've been separated for too long. Today is the day to start taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually to get a plan for our lives spiritually for 2019 if we haven't developed one yet. To get ourselves together emotionally. I know one of the things we're starting and several of you here are taking advantage of is grief recovery. We started that last, last week. We realized that we've had losses. I lost my dear mother in 2017. I lost her on my birthday. So every birthday, for the rest of my life, I'll remember my mother. But you know, the great thing about it is she became a disciple of Jesus Christ before she died. So every day when I celebrate my birthday and celebrate my life, I'll be able to celebrate the life she was transitioned into because she had put God first in her life and was baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. And so we need to take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually starting today. And today we need to commit ourselves to getting right and stronger with God. For some, that means learning and growing. For others, it means taking your Bible study seriously, studying, repenting, being baptized, and being strengthened in your walk with God. And so as we close today, as we remember a cause that's greater than ourselves on this Black History Month service, we've been confronted with a cause that is greater, far greater than our lives and our personal sacrifices. But in order for us to achieve an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, we must endure. Amen? You must keep first our eyes on the prize. And secondly, we got to decide what kind of extremist we will be. And in order to achieve that, we got to realize that we can't put our hope in border security, amen? We can't put our hope in how many nuclear warheads we might have in this country. We can't put our hope in how much money is in our bank account, amen? But we got to put our hope in Jesus Christ. For my hope was built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let us pray as we reflect on Jesus, we reflect on the cross, 
we reflect on the sacrifice, we reflect on the man who considered his life worth nothing for us, who lived for a cause that was greater for, than ourselves. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. It's a very special time in a disciple's week. We look at our lives, we reflect on our past week, our past month, we reflect on our weaknesses, our failings, our sins, but we look forward to the future as we reflect on Jesus Christ. Let us pray at this time. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the man who lived a life worthy of the calling that you had for him, that considered his life worth nothing but to finish the race, to go to the cross for us, who lived the perfect life. And as we reflect and celebrate on men and women who were imperfect but followed the example of your son for a greater cause, may we at this time reflect on your son who lived for the ultimate prize, not for his benefit, Father, but for ours because of your incredible love for us. We reflect on that, Father, as we think of the body that was broken and we take the bread, as we think about the blood that was spilled and we take up the juice and the wine. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for this time of remembrance. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.